Hi, welcome to the Live Scent Podcast, a podcast from First Baptist Arlington. I'm your host, Ashley Berryhill. And I am your other host, Luke Stair. On Live Scent, we have conversations about living as faithful witnesses of God's kingdom here and around the world. We are glad you joined us. We hope that these discussions about life as faithful witnesses will inspire you to see your world, culture, and relationships in a new light. So in the next four episodes, Luke and I want to invite you into our everyday conversations about what a lifestyle of sharing the gospel with others is like. Right. That's what we're doing. Yeah. It's about being a witness, not doing witness, but being one. And so becoming a people who is seasoned with the goodness of God, and there's a lot of depth and conversation. We can go into that, but we won't right now. Right. But what is this? How do we form patterns that um, help us become these transformational agents of witness. Yeah. So I think we both have a mentor who has famously said that he doesn't use the word mission anymore, but mission is people being transformed by people who are being transformed. And so uh, in order to be people who are being transformed, we're going to utilize habits And uh, habits are these kinds of structures in our lives uh, that help us grow and help us do things. So we've all used habits at varying points in our lives to accomplish all sorts of things. So if you've ever, you know, wanted to train for a race or want to get in shape or change something about your life, you've typically done that by structuring it around some habits. Mm -hmm. So to be people who are more oriented towards witness, we're going to use some habits Um, so if you think about if you've ever grown tomatoes or grapes or anything like that, you have to grow them on a trellis of some kind. So I don't know if you've ever seen that in a garden and wondered why you buy tomato cages. Um, but an unsupported tomato plant will bear some fruit, but eventually the weight of the tomatoes will cause the plant to like bend back down towards the ground and the fruit will rot and it's just not good. Um, so that trellis or tomato cage supports the plant and allows for it to grow in such a way that it actually bears good fruit. Right. So habits for our life are like a trellis or a tomato cage that helps us bear fruit in our lives. So and that's why we're doing habits. That's great. And we do want to bear fruit in our lives. Yes. For sure. And we want to be people who decide to choose to share the good news of Jesus and make it a rhythm. Yep. So um, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so it's one of the reasons why we're kicking off a missional habits course here at our church. So we want to have habits that point us outward to share the good news with our neighbors. Uh, We believe that Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened. It's joyous news, and we want to share it out of the joy that we feel. Mm -hmm. So that joy is what's driving us forward. Uh, So while we're going to use habits to provide some structure to that, ultimately joy And the joy of knowing Christ is the motivation behind it. So we can say evangelism is really this joyous response of our true encounters with Jesus. Right. And we are changed. And just like the early Christian church, they were overflowing from the joy of the newness of life that they had experienced and they know. And so they were outwardly propelled to witness. Exactly. Um, And so we know that as followers of Jesus, we have this calling Uh, to share the good news of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So if you think about in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark 1, 16 through 19, Jesus tells a story, or there's a story of of Jesus calling this group of fishermen to be his followers. I'm going to read it. 
Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about this and how it helps us frame what we think about evangelism. Sure. So this is Mark 1, 16 through 19. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired men and followed him. So that's Mark 1, 16 through 19. Um, and I'd grown up reading this, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm supposed to be a fisher of men, a fisher of people. Great. Like, let's do that. Uh, but it wasn't until I read something that missiologist Michael Frost wrote and pointed out about this passage that it changed the way I thought about it and the way I thought about evangelism. And so he points out that as people living in the West, we have a very particular way of reading this text. And it's based on how we think about fishing in our culture, which is very much uh, you think about a person on a boat or on the shore and they have a rod and it's got a line and it's got bait and they're just standing out there quietly by themselves trying to bait and hook this solitary fish and reel them in. And it's kind of this contest and you're trying to win over the fish. And that's actually shaped how we think about evangelism in mm-hmm. our culture as well. Sure. Uh, so oftentimes when we thought about evangelism, we've thought about getting the right message or presentation or the right strategy. And it's about this kind of contest almost between you and the person you're trying to win over. We've, I've even heard people like you is like, what's the right bait <laughs> to get people in? Wow. Um, and that's an understanding of evangelism shaped by a particular way of reading this verse. Mm-hmm. But uh, what Michael Frost pointed out to me is this is not what Jesus's disciples would have thought, or even what like the first century of Christians would have thought about. Um, so Mark in the gospel takes a really diligent point and uh, noting that what they're doing is the primary tasks of fishing, and that's casting their nets and mending their nets. So it's very specific language that's not this rod and reel mentality that we're used to. So it's been said even that fishermen of that time would have spent most of their time on the shore preparing and mending nets. So most of the time wasn't spent on the boat. It was actually spent working on a net. So if this is the biblical metaphor for evangelism, it's fishing for people, but it's in the Bible, it's based on nets. How does that shape what we think about evangelism? So those fishermen would have cast nets into the water and those nets just dredged up everything that fell within them. Mm -hmm. So well-prepared nets are the key to success for this biblical metaphor for evangelism. You've obviously done some thinking about this as yeah, well. So how, how do you see some of those differences play out? Yeah. You know, really quick, I do want to touch on, you know, my time in Sierra Leone. I've seen the fishermen um, with their nets on the beach. And so this experience, what I've observed from them is that they're in unison. They're pulling in rhythm. They're in relationship. It's not a solitary activity. It is not. And it's amazing of what strength and um unity it takes to do something like this. I mean, it just, it, it, it's fascinating because, but as, as Americans, we're very independent. I mean, looking at, at yep. culture, you know, cultural lens, culture influences the aspect of how we function in society. And so um, looking at uh, what Michael Frost is saying, I really think he talks about our posture 
towards people? Is our posture um, an aggressive one to convert someone who doesn't know Christ? Or is it about being in community and hospitality and welcoming them into a fold that is loving and caring? Mm. And I think that's what we can see from the nets and the rods um, analogy here, um, just taking elements of early Christianity and how they practice the love and care for others, no matter what that person decided to, to believe in, you know, right. they were there. And so um, I think that's kind of where we can look at is just the posture of what we come um, and when we're just visiting with our neighbors. What is that? Yeah. yeah. I also think it speaks to <laughs> oftentimes in the church when we talk about evangelists, what mm. we're actually doing and when we celebrate evangelists is we're celebrating individuals who seem to have a very particular gifting mm-hmm. and they actually like we're celebrating this one person who has this ability to get up on a stage or have a conversation, but we're celebrating ultimately this individual. And I don't want to deny that that's a real spiritual gifting and I want to celebrate right. those people for what they are. But I think the scriptural understanding for evangelism is that it's not an individual's endeavor or an individual's task, but it's something that's to be done in a community like the fishermen in Sierra Leone. Um, so Yeah, correct. I mean, because we are all called to fish for people. Right. That's what Jesus tells us to do. But that doesn't mean we're evangelists, but we are to be evangelistic. Mm, yes. Can you say something about... That, that distinction? Sure. sure. Okay. So let's don't confuse what you were just talking about with the evangelists who are people who are gifted. I mean, it's like a pastor. We're not all called to be pastors. If we right. were, there would be nobody to listen. <laughs> but The body doesn't need no, to only be eyes. No, it does not need to be only eyes. But we are to have this posture of an evangelistic lifestyle in community to share the good news. Now, when Paul writes, I'm going to share something in Colossians that he he writes, he doesn't assume that everybody in the early church was gifted this way. And so he writes in Colossians 4, 2 through 6, I'm going to read it, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the ways you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer everyone. So in this letter, um, Paul isn't assuming everybody's like him. Paul is an evangelist. He is proclaiming to the mountaintops the goodness of God. Jesus has come. And thank goodness he's so good at it. Amen. Thank you, Paul. But what he's telling to the church is live this lifestyle, be evangelistic, Mm -hmm. um, and share this goodness, but be grace-filled in it. Right. Yeah. And it's this like wise socializing, I think, is what Paul's pointing the church to. So he wants them to pray for him that he can boldly proclaim. But his expectation for the rest of the church isn't that they're just going to hang out and do nothing. It's also not that they're going to do the same style of bold proclamation that he does. Right. It's be wise in how you socialize with people, look for opportunities, and do everything you do in a grace-filled way so that you actually can have opportunities to talk about the gospel. 
So there's this difference between, as we've talked about, gifted evangelists, these people that we celebrate, versus, and not versus, because we're working together, evangelistic believers. Mm -hmm. So not everyone is an evangelist, but everyone is supposed to be evangelistic. Correct. Correct. I mean, it just helps us to live a life propelled um, into relationship. So again, before you can do that, though, you have to be first rooted in Christ. Right. This isn't something, an extra thing we do. We have to be rooted in Christ. And when we are, it's the overflow of, of our relationship with Christ that comes out um, into a joyous response for being evangelistic and how we live a lifestyle. And so, so when we talk about missional habits, what we're talking, um, and we'll describe those a little bit more in the next episodes, and, um, but really what we're looking at is um, an acronym called BELLS. And it's about blessing others. I mean, we're, we're going to live a generous life. Um, eating with people. Mm-hmm. Eating is very important. I love it's, to eat. Yeah, we have to eat, you know. <laughs> you but do. it's also a great way to um, just to get to know people around the table. And we'll, we'll talk, Luke will talk about that a little bit more later on. Um, and also intentionally setting so- time aside to listen to God always learning the ways of Jesus. And what I love, Dr. Wiles always talks about, no matter what you're reading, make sure you're always reading the Gospels. Mm. You've got to learn the ways of Jesus. Solid advice from a very solid preacher. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Wiles. And then we must learn to live a sent identity. Mm. We have to embody this identity. So bless, eat, listen, learn, and sent. Bells. Bells. Ding, ding, ding. So here's some vision casting. Love it. Okay. What could God do in our lives if we surrendered to an evangelistic lifestyle with these habits that we're going to talk about? How might our family's lives change for the better? How might we in this impact our character, our discernment, our ability to see how God is sending us out into the present? And what would this look like? as a church body, if we did this together, what could God mm-hmm. do? Yeah. And I think that's a big question and an exciting question is what could God do through these things? And so I think about the early church, which had just an explosive period of growth for the mm-hmm. first several hundred years of its life. And it was largely driven by people living a lifestyle that was focused on generosity and hospitality and uh, church historian Ian Shaw uses the language that they even gossiped the gospel. Mm. So Ian Shaw says this, and I think it's a really good picture into the early church. And he says, many Christians traveled either for the express purpose of extending the reach of the Christian message or for their business and employment. And as they went, they could not help telling their faith story. This has been evocatively described as gossiping the gospel. I love that. I do too. I think that's great language. I want all of you. I know the Bible says not to gossip, but I think this is the exception. If you're gossiping, gossip the gospel. Gossip the gospel. Yeah. So, and then he says more that curious friends, family members, and neighbors asked questions about the new beliefs of Christians, or they heard a visiting preacher or discussion in a home meeting they had been invited to join. So the evidence, and there's lots of evidence, suggests that the early Christians practiced what they preached or gossiped. Their distinctive lifestyle, which 
turning from the immoralities of the day, and their strong practical social support for widows, the orphans, and the sick proved powerfully attractive to the world that they lived in. Mm -hmm. So it was this life of generosity, a life of hospitality, and a life of knowing who Jesus was, having this joyous reaction to it, and just gossiping it to everyone they encountered caused this explosive growth of the Christian message throughout the Roman Empire at the time. Can I add something else? I would love for you to add something else. I think we can um, learn a lot from our persecuted brothers and sisters. Something Mm. we forget, early church was persecuted. Exactly. And yet they were, the gospel was exploding. I mean, in in the ways of gossiping the gospel. Um, And so our, you know, I have a dear brother. We have a dear brother, actually, um, that uh, a Christian brother who is from a persecuted, has a persecuted um, history. I understand what you're getting at. Okay. <laughs> he's uh, from a persecuted country. He's from a persecuted country, yes. Um, he, he came from an Islamic household. He had an encounter with Jesus, and he couldn't stop but share the joy of this with others. And that sharing got him into a lot of trouble, um, and so his family had to leave. But I think when we're looking at the persecuted church and we're, and we're uh, listening to them, and seeing their witness, I think that needs to spur us on. Mm, I agree. I mean, despite, right, I think right now we are not going to maybe be in that situation, but their joyous response in such circumstances should really propel us forward when we don't have that circumstance right now. I mean, what can God do? Yeah. And so to give us that extra kind of push to propel us, both, I think, outward into our communities inward into deeper community within our own church and upward into a more full relationship with God. We're going to explore these missional habits over the next couple of episodes, also through the missional habits class in more depth and detail. Um, But these habits aren't just like, I'm going to practice these for a couple of weeks and then forget. Hopefully they actually really change the way that we live as people. Um, So, Stay tuned for more. Uh, On the next episode, we are going to talk about the first two habits of blessing and eating. So stay tuned. All right. Thanks for listening.